Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. The things. Let's get back into the sermon series. Uh, for those uh, jumping back in, we spent a great amount of time a couple of years on the life of Jesus, on how to grow to be more like Jesus, which is called discipleship. Uh, spiritual gifts, the four chairs, uh, the four different stages of being a Christian and how to mature as a Christian. And right now, I believe we're getting ready to move into another season. I do believe that. Um, and uh, build on top of where we've been. As a matter of fact, uh, if you mentioned, uh, mentioned a couple of weeks ago about my upcoming uh, three-day sabbatical, just to kind of be with God on that. That starts uh, this afternoon, so if you could be keeping that prayer, that'd be great. But uh, in the, this part that we're at right now, we're kind of in a hodgepodge series on uh, spiritual growth in different areas within the area of spiritual growth. So we're going to dive in today. Last week, we talked about church membership or church community, Christian community. If you missed that, make sure you check that back out on the website or our YouTube st uh, station. But today we're going to move into personal ministry, who, who we are as individually and what God has called us to be. And we're going to do that by looking at a couple of different examples that meet up in a uh, great way in the Scripture. So if you would, let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. We're going to go very quickly into the Scripture, and we're going to go to Numbers 13. Numbers 13. And I want to take a look at um, this great moment with, uh, we'll just start out with Moses. I, I'm a big Moses fan. If you've been around for a while, you probably know that. Uh, there was one time we did a, so, a series on Moses that didn't last as long as our, our series on Jesus, but it was, a, it was our first mighty long series. Moses just has so much, again, information about his life, so much we can learn about his successes, his failures. We see God moving through him left and right. Uh, we see a lot of foreshadowing of Jesus' uh, ministry and his story through Moses as well. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about this particular situation that he runs himself into. Now, I think for the most part, most of us have a general understanding of Moses. If nothing else, maybe saw the Prince of Egypt in the cartoon form of, you know, a while back or seen Charleston Heston picking up some stones or whatever. Um, but Moses, if you're not familiar, again, we're looking at Old Testament. Um, he was born an Israelite when God's chosen people. They were slaves of the, the Egyptians. The Pharaoh decided he was going to have uh, all the boys, the little boys, the toddler boys, of the, uh, the slaves killed because they were getting too strong. And um, so he had a death sentence on him pretty much from the beginning. And due to some quick work of his mama and uh, providence from God, he was uh, saved from that and ended up instead being adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter, uh, irony, irony, and was raised an Egyptian. And so he had all the power and all the authority as a member of the Pharaoh's family, all the education, all the resources that were there for his first 40 years. Literally, it breaks into 40, 40, 40 with Moses, which is awesome. Um, so his first 40 years, he has quite a bit of power and quite a bit of authority and quite a bit of uh, resources. The situation happens when he's about 40, where whether he just realizes an Israelite or if it's always been bugging him, he decided to do something, he, he wanted to do something, bring some freedom to his brothers, the Israelite brothers. And so he saw an Israelite getting beat up by an Egyptian, and he stepped in. And the way that he saved the Israelite was by killing the Egyptian and hid the body and felt pretty good about it. It, it was a self-defense or a defense situation. And uh, he felt like he did something for his, 
his, his kind or his culture or his tradition, whatever the case may be. And uh, it didn't go too well. And the main reason for that, when you look in the scripture, is before he did it, he looked this way and that, but not up, and did his own thing. And next thing you know, everybody knows about it, and he has to bolt. He has to leave because Pharaoh wants him dead for what he did. And so he spends his next 40 years, from 40 to 80 years old, as a shepherd out in the desert. This is the Reader's Digest version of this. And uh, so he has nothing, has no resources. He doesn't even own the sheep that he is over. Uh, he doesn't have a scepter anymore. He just has his walking stick and whatnot. And then finally, you know, God shows up. And God decides to show up, and everything changes in a moment. And at the bony bush, he says, guess what? You got to go deliver those lights. And Moses says, no, I can't do that any, anymore. I've tried that. I failed. Uh, which some of us might have been at before and might be a situation that Moses would think about as Amanda was talking earlier. And finally, God kicks him in the butt, and he goes, and they go through the whole plagues, and you guys remember that stuff. That's, that's got to be a little bit easier to remember. Uh, and all the different things, and God releases those lights under Moses' rule to go to the promised land. They go through the Dead Sea, and they go to the promised land. And that trip did not take 40 years. That trip just took a couple months. I think that's the part that some people don't realize. They, they, we all know that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It wasn't because they didn't have a map. It wasn't because God wasn't guiding them. It was because of their unfaithfulness. And so this is the point that we come up to in chapter 13, that they are coming up against the promised land the first time, the first time, just after, after the, the short travel. So we're going to read a lot, and then I'm going to talk a lot. It's not really a little talk a little. I'm just going to... Dig in. You guys good? I know sometimes you can glaze over when somebody's reading to you, but it's a scripture, so take it back and make sure you're staying in because this, this is pretty incredible what, what comes together. So looking at Moses. Okay, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. This is the promised land, which I am giving to the people of Israel. For each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, each one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, and again, I'm going to make up half of these names, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. So sending the spies into the land to check it out is not an act of uh, a lack of faith. This is something God told him to do. I want you to go and see what's in the land, because there's good stuff in the land. There's also the enemy in the land, and they have to decide what they're going to do with that. And so when you go over to verse 25, we see that uh, at the end of the 40 days, they returned from that, that spy trip. Okay, and so verse 26, it says, They came to Moses, they came to Aaron, and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So that's the good report. Everything God said about the promised land, is what it is. It's a good land. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amicalites dwell in the land of uh, Negev, and the Hittites and the Jubasites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canites dwell by the sea and, uh, sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb, one of the spies, quieted the people before Moses. In other words, they got upset hearing this. And he quieted them, and he said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Why? Because of God. 31, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land 
through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there was, we saw the Niflam, the sons of Anak, who came from Niflam. Yeah, okay. And we seemed like uh, to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we see, uh, and so we seemed to them. So the report and stuff come back on this is a great land, and we, but we need God. Was th- this is overwhelming to us, and there's just no way. We seem like grasshoppers to them. And the bad part of the report on top of that is we think we're grasshoppers too. Do you see that? So th- this is where all the situation uh, really kind of comes together. That's before Moses at this time. Chapter 14. I told you it's going to be a lot. It's good stuff. Then from the report, all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. It's always fun when the leaders get grumbled about the whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by our sword? They say this a lot in the wilderness, just to let you know. Oh, if he only left us in slavery, we'd be much happier. Sadly, I think we do that sometimes in our spiritual life sometimes. Verse 3, so, so why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones, they will become prey. Uh, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader. In other words, let's kick Moses out, and we'll go back to Egypt into slavery. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the the son of Jephi, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only please do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. This is a great business meeting. Um, But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel, which shut them up pretty quick. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nature greater and mighty, or more mighty than they are. So this, this is the initial thoughts that God has when they say, We're not going to move forward in faith. From a world perspective, it looks too overwhelming. I'm not going to trust God and his promises, so I'm going to stay back. God says, I'm done with them. I am just done with them. It, it, it very much is reminiscent to, to the testimony of Noah in the ark. It's just, what am I doing here? These people continue just to be so unfaithful and not trust me. Um, thankfully, Moses intercedes for the people, if you happen to have that little highlight there. Verse 13, but Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you have brought up these people in your might from among them, and they would tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of these people, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them as you go before them, and a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. Okay, so this, this is where I continue to go back to. 
The Israelites were never the chosen people of God, and everybody else was, meant nothing to him. They were the chosen people so that he could be their God. They could see what that looks like, and the rest of the world would be rude to them. So he says, you have a great testimony going right here, and the outside world will not understand your judgment. They will not understand the just justice, and they would think that it, it was you that couldn't do it. So verse 17, and now please let the power of God be great as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. If you ever want to know what intercessory prayer looks like, this is one of the biggies. This is when you step in for somebody else on, on, on behalf of them to, to God. And um, so as he goes through, there's still ripple effects for sin, right? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. There's still ripple effects for the sin, even though there's a great pardon here. And the big part of that is none will cross into the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua, which the two spies that said we should be forward. I should have faith. Nobody who left Walked feet walked into the promised land, and they end up spending the next 40 years learning how to trust God and need God in the desert. Um, and they had 40 years of exile to be able to learn that because they just weren't ready for it yet. They, it's like a little kid that got a great gift, and then they just abused the, the daylights out because they didn't know how to how to use it. And the the thing that's interesting, uh, I've shared this before, but it's a great side point because you might even apply it to your life today. Uh, I remember going through my my studies. Uh, when I was becoming a pastor, and um, there's a concept in the scripture we see over and over again of structure and exile side by side. Uh, structures when everything makes sense, exiles when ev- nothing makes sense. And we, 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 we see it in the scripture, we see it in our own lives all the time. So Moses being the example of this, he had 40 years of structure, right? He had, had his education, he had his money. He had, if, if he was sick, he got to go to the hospital. He knew he was going to sleep that night. Uh, and his palace bed and everything else, everything makes sense. And we like structure seasons, at least I do. Structure seasons are kind of fun because I don't have anything to stress out about. The next 40 years was exile, and he had to learn exile where you have no idea where you're going to sleep. If you get injured, there is no doctor around. You don't know where your food's going to come from. You have to provide for yourself, and you have to trust in God to lead you. I've learned to love exile seasons more. I'm not still nuts about it, but I learned a little more. Because here's the thing. In exile seasons, we draw closer to God than we do when we're in structure. We take him for granted in the structure. And so Moses went through both and had to learn, learn both of these things to make him the right man for the job, which was his heart's desire in the first place for the last 40 years. They needed a shepherd. They needed someone who could lead them in the desert and provide for them and show them how to count on God. Now, this only lasts uh, so long. Obviously, seasons change. Uh, let's go over to Deuteronomy 34. It's just, I think, just the next book over. Deuteronomy 34. And we have here uh, when D- Moses passes away. Moses is not allowed in the promised land. It's not because of the, the situation we just talked about, but a, uh, a f- failure in um, obedience that happens a little that later on. Um, that, that keeps him from being able to go. But he does get to see the promised land. 
And that's the account that we have here. Uh, verse 134 says that Moses went up from the plains Moab to Mount Nebu. That sounds like a Star Wars planet, doesn't it? <laughs> to Mount Nebu, uh, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him. Now, make, make sure you, you see the intimacy of God with his relationship with Moses. He shows him. He personally shows him all of the land, Gilead as far as Dan, uh, and all of Naphi and Ephraim and Benesiah and the Judah as far as the western plains and the Negev and the plain and uh, Valley of Jericho and the city of palm trees. I'd like to know more about that as far as Zohar. And, uh, and the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham. This is the land I swore to Jacob and to Isaac. And I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you should not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him. Who's he in this? The Lord. The Lord buries him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. I think that's such a beautiful, intimate act. For the friendship, if you go through the life of Moses with God, it's a beautiful example of what our relationship with Jesus can be like. Uh, so he, he buries him himself. No one knows where it's at. Moses was 120 years when he died. His eyes were undimmed and, uh, and his vigor unabated, which basically means 120 years old and he still felt like he was 30. Basically what that means. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses was ended, end of season. The season of, uh, of Moses is done. Verse 9, Joshua, the son of Nun, one of the two spies that said we should take the land, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the, the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and all the land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Most of that's about Moses still. Most of that is the, them, them writing this, this last little chunk. These first five books of the Bible Moses wrote, that's, which is awesome because the Israelites did not know how to write, but because of his first 40 years he did. And he's the one that wrote down the, the stories that have been passed on and then also the stories of themselves. And then this one little chapter at the end, somebody else wrote to tell us just how great Moses was. And he passes it to Joshua. Doesn't tell us much about Joshua, so let's read on just a little bit more and then I promise I'll stop babbling, which I know is what you love. Um, after the death of Moses, Joshua 1, verse 1, just the next page. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, wise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot would tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, uh, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses... So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and courageous. Notice he mentions that twice. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right, and do not do the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on day and night 
so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Three, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The 40 years that they were in the desert, they needed a shepherd. They don't need a shepherd anymore. They need a warrior. They need a warrior leader, and that's who Joshua was. Joshua uh, has the spirit of wisdom upon him. He has Moses has blessed him, has laid his hands on him. He has a history of being a fierce warrior. Um, and he had uh, spent time with Moses in some of the critical moments when Moses ascended Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments the first time. Guess who was with him? Joshua was at a lot of these major events. Uh, when God met with Moses, and again, this is only with Moses that, that we, we see in this way, face-to-face -face in the tent of meeting is what they called it. That, that's the one where the, when God met Moses, that the glory of God would shine out of it and people couldn't look upon it. Uh, this is the place that when Moses left meeting with God face-to-face, -face, that his face would be shining so brightly as an after effect that it rooted people out. So he had a real veil when he was walking around town until that kind of finally kind of dismayed back. Um, Joshua was, was the custodian of the tabernacle. He was the only one that was there. So, so we see this guy prepared and equipped to get ready for the next season. And I can guarantee you, it didn't look like how Moses would do it. It's how God wanted it still, but it looked different. And it felt different. And they were both in their sweet spots. And that's why it went so well. This is what I want to look at with you today. They knew their personal ministry. They were created for the personal ministry. They were called to the personal ministry. That's not just Joshua. That's not just Moses. That's all of us. If, if we believe that God created me for a reason, and God has called me for a reason, once I accepted Jesus' leave forgive of my life, I'm now in line with his plan instead of my own, then how do I find that sweet spot? How do I know where I'm going to click in well and do what God wants me to do instead of wasting a bunch of time with it? Does that make sense? So what, what I want to share with you, and again, if you've been here a long time, I've taught on this for a long time, is, okay, Ginger, you're the English teacher. What's an acronym? What's an acronym? I think it's not what I'm thinking of. When you have a word and each letter means something, is that an acronym? Nailed it. What's that? Yes, 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 an acronym. Very happy with myself. Uh, thank you, Ginger. Either that or you're lying just to cover for me since I'm up here. Um, there's an acronym I want to share with you, and it's uh, SHAPE, and Chris is going to put that up for you. Um, and I did put in the bulletin, I, I, I think I did. I, I hope I remember to do that, yeah. Um, yeah, notes if you want to take, take notes uh, on it. But it is a concept not created by me. It's a concept created by Rick Warren, who's a pastor out of California. Some of you guys have heard of him, some haven't. Uh, I'm not the biggest Rick Warren uh, fan. I'm not the biggest Rick Warren hater. Uh, but I do like this particular uh, acronym they had that I learned early on that I think really nails well um, how we can see and explore and start to self-evaluate who am I and why am I unique uh, and where do I really belong. And so I, I think I'll make more sense as we go through. We'll give you the first one here, Chris, is uh, sp the spiritual gifts. All of us have spiritual gifts. We just spent, what, two, three months on spiritual gifts about half a year ago. Um, if you were not here for that, uh, well, yeah, if you're not here for that, we'll go to the next slide, Chris. Um, 
you can write down that, that little tiny URL. That will take you to the playlist of the sermons from the, the spiritual gifts. There's different kinds of spiritual gifts. There's the miraculous gifts. We usually think about those first. Uh, tongues, healing, prophecy. Uh, th th those are the miraculous gifts that we talked about. Um, the enabling gifts, which are full gifts that all of us have as Christians, that are our empowerment, uh, because if we try to do spiritual gifts with human effort, it doesn't work. And so we, we talked about the, uh, the empowering gifts that all of us have. And then there's the enabling gifts, uh, which likes, uh, would like the miraculous gifts. Uh, each of us have spiritual gifts if you've accepted Jesus to live and forgive in your life. Not all of us are aware of what our spiritual gifts are, so it's important to seek that out and study it and grow within it. Uh, it's part of our sweet spot. Um, but my spiritual gift and your spiritual gift may be the same, may not be the same. Was I, like one of my, my top three is administration uh, and the enabling, or the team gift end of things, or the gifts that we bring together to do great things with. Uh, and I'll pick on Amanda Russell because I remember hers was prophecy. We, we have different ones. I know other people in the church that have, have administration on their list. So some of us are the same, some of us different. It doesn't feel like overly special. It's just part of the mix. Does that make sense? So if, if you've not gone through that, uh, underneath that, if you go to our website, tsflife.com, uh, at that time we did do uh, spiritual gift assessments that are still online that you can take a spiritual gift assessment. That's a great starting point. I, um, and you can just go on the homepage. You'll see that just a few inches down that, uh, I'm sorry, I'm pointing that stuff behind you. I mean, uh, but you'll, you'll see this online, your gifts, you click that, and you can take a free assessment. And it gives you some ideas on where to start with, to start exploring your spiritual gifts. That is one thing that's unique to you, but not quite unique to you yet. Does that make sense? So, what is my spiritual gifts? That, what he gifted me for, I'm going to start heading in the right direction. Okay, next one. Uh, and we can just go down. Yep, there you go. Uh, the next one is heart, or your passion. What is your heart? What is your passion? What, what, do you, what gets you excited? What, what do you really look forward to? To being able to do. Some people are very passionate about kids. Some people are passionate about uh, working at the nursing home. So, some people are passionate about music. Some people are passionate about gaming. Uh, some some people take and get passionate about cars, and other people get passionate about travel. What is, what is your passion? Now, if two of us have the same, let's say I was prophecy and Amanda was prophecy, and, uh, and I, I was real passionate about uh, I'm not passionate about anything. She's real passionate about kids, and I'm not passionate about working with kids. That's why she's a teacher. That's why she, she works with the kids here. That's why she's pulling her out with her own, too. She loves, lo loves kids. Uh, where I got a nanny and, and outsourced all that. Um, I'm kidding. But we all have different hearts and passions. So while we might have the same spiritual gift, now we're seeing that there's a little bit more uniqueness. So there might be children people over here with prophecy and children people over here with the, with the administration and then uh, like I, I get us Disney World people over here that's what I get passionate about no I, really it's family family relationships is what I get passionate about and so we might have different gifts and we might have some similarities so we, we still have some groupings going on within this but but for your self-evaluation once you know your spiritual gifts and what you're passionate about and you start using the bottom half of that to kind of write that out a little bit and you start seeing some things you're, you're starting to make some roads the next one on here is a which is abilities Abilities are things that you have learned, things that you can do that not everybody can do, whether that be playing guitar or changing oil or uh, whatever the case may be. Taking a, doing, Adam likes to do graphic design, uh, so that's something that he's grown in his ability to do, while other people might enjoy knitting. 
uh, or some people might have, you know, a passion with their pens. That's so weird. And growing their abilities of knowledge about pens. Um, we're, start, we're starting to see more uniqueness. These are things that you may have been born with, but continue to grow in. So you could be born with a gift for singing, different than I do, but you continue to grow with them. Uh, and then the next one is, is what's your personality? What's your personality? Not everybody is as quiet and timid as I am. Um, some people are more boisterous. <laughs> You've only been here three weeks. You shouldn't laugh at that. I thought I had you fooled. Uh, you, you, you might be more outgoing. You, you might be somebody who's very touchy-feely. You might not like being around people whatsoever. You might be a very joyous pe person naturally. You might be somebody who's more uh, mellow all the time. Uh, this is not quite the same thing as if you're struggling with uh, maybe a mental illness or uh, PTSD, those type of things that brings depression into the place. Those are things that we work on more than they are personality traits. But there's a lot of people have personalities that have some of the similar traits as as depression. So what is your personality? What has he created you to be? Uh, and then E, the last one there is experiences. We all have different experiences. Um, so the things I refer back to like when it comes to camp or when it, the time that I got arrested for stealing money from the pizza place when I was in my early 20s or when I talk about my first wife leaving me or when we talk about something that happened at, like show choir um, competitions, and so we have a kind of like the shared experience with certain people that we can minister to. All of those things are experiences that are unique to me. We might share some of those, but it also makes us different. All, any, and and I, I, I keep having to reiterate this, um, just because of my own heart. A testimony is any time where this is what the situation was, Jesus stepped in, and now this is what it looks like. And that definitely is our salvation testimony. Okay, I didn't I, I have Jesus in my life. I accepted Jesus as a leader and forgiven my life, and now everything's changed. That's definitely a testimony. But today I woke up in the worst mood, and I got into the scripture, and I found this one verse, and it just changed the way I looked at the whole day. It's a testimony. Anything that we have is a testimony. And those testimonies are so vital for two reasons. One, you have to hold on to your testimonies when things are bad to remind yourself that his promises are true. And then you also have to share those testimonies as the Holy Spirit leads, because you're responsible for that experience now to let others know how, how, how good God is. Okay, so spiritual gifts, heart, passion, abilities, personality, and experience. It would be awesome if you take some time and prayfully consider those things and actually do it in a journal, on paper, and start looking at those uniquenesses about yourself. Because here's the thing. Each time we add a step, those little groups around become less and less. And by the time you get to the end, there is absolutely nobody exactly like you. Nobody. And you can do things, and you can reach people, and you will have opportunities I will never have because they're your opportunities, and God never intended me to take it, and vice versa. Does that make sense? There, there are times that um, I have gone into prisons and talked to inmates who would not talk to any other pastor because I was arrested once. Now, I was a young, stupid kid. I spent, like, 12 hours in Franklin County Jail. I was let out of my own recognizance. I paid the money back. My record was expunged. I was probably, the, and one, one, one guy that I was in jail with asked me a bunch of questions and said, I've never been in jail with a good boy before. I mean, I'm, I'm not, like, this hardened criminal guy, but they're like, oh, you're one of us. I don't, if, if, if you've been, you're one of us. 
And that sounds silly, but I'll tell you, it comes up over and over again. And God never wanted me to take money from a cash register. But when you take something ugly that you did and give it to Jesus, it turns it into something beautiful. And it's something I can do that you can't do. Imagine the people that you can reach. I, I remember uh, going back, talking about camp. Monica and I have camp. Beth and I have, we all have the same camp background. Uh, I directed fifth and sixth grade camp uh, for 10 years. Monica only did it once because she hates little kids. Um, but on my staff each year, I had one young lady. Uh, we'll, we'll call her Stephanie. It's not. You'll figure it out. Uh, but Steph, uh, and you'll figure it out too later, probably. Ask me later. But Ste- Stephanie was... Um, a great young lady, great Christian girl, who was just grumpy. That was her personality. She was just a grumpy, grumpy person. And uh, every year, as she got tired and as the week was going on, and camp is an intense week, uh, she would, by Wednesday, every year, I would have to sit down and say, Stephanie, we need to talk at that point again. I need to... And get get a second win. We gotta get a fresh anointing here. We had that talk every year, and um, my my assistant director. I, I think we're like three years in, and he said to me, he "Goes, why do you keep bringing Stephanie back? Like, what 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 is the point? We've we've got you know multiple people here that do great. Why do you keep bringing her back?" I said, "Because if you stop and watch, there was always at least two, if not three, girls that come to the camp, fifth and sixth graders, that just are drawn to her." that just need that, that kind of personality and that kind of joking. Or that sort of, and she doesn't impact the entire camp. But every year, different kids, different faces, it's always two or three that need her. And it's worth it. It's worth it. It's just part of her shape, you know, part, part of her way. So, so th- these type of things, as we start looking at our shape, we start understanding our shape. I'll, I'll tell you what, it'll do, it'll do four things. These will not be on the screen. Uh, it would do four things if you, if you understand your shape and start growing in your shape. Uh, the first thing it would do, it would tell you where to plug in. Once you understand your fullness of your shape and uniqueness, it would tell you where to plug in. If uh, you look at your shape and um, you are not a kid person and you're excited about nursing home ministry, which, by the way, we can easily do, so if you want to do something like that, let me know. Uh, it is probably best that you don't volunteer to be part of the weekly rotation in the kids' barn. It's probably just not, not going to be your spot. It's not your sweet spot. It's not where you're supposed to go. And worse yet, you would be blocking somebody who is made for it from being able to be in that role. Um, so it really helps you direct on where do, where do you spend your time and your energy and your, your, your Bible study and your growth. Uh, the second thing it would do, it would, uh, again, it goes along with this. It would, it would tell you what not to plug in. So if you see that, it will... It will help you with that. Now, with the, it's not, it will tell you we're not to plug in. I'm going to put an exception to that rule uh, because sometimes we take healthy boundaries and we make them a little bit too thick. If you are not a kid person, that doesn't mean that God's not going to say at VBS time, hey, they need an extra person to help with games. I want you to be there. He will take you outside your comfort zone. So don't say an immediate no, but it, don't volunteer for the weekly you and you help type role. You know what I mean? He'll stretch us, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, the third one is it will give you confidence. I, I'm a big believer that as Christians, if we understand who we are in Christ, that we should be fully confident, never cocky. And you should be co- confident. Uh, this is overwhelming. This is scary. 
I looked at the promised land. It's filled with all these, these people. I feel like a grasshopper, but I know I can move forward because this is what God's called me to do and God, who God's created me to be. And that co- confidence is important. Uh, I'll give you another Judson Hill story because everybody loves him. Uh, there was one year I was not the director. A buddy of mine was uh, that I've known all my life. And he directed uh, senior high. So now you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and this particular staff that he had had been together for several years, and they were very, very, very tight. Very, very, very tight. And there came a year that the pastor of that camp could not do it that week. Um, just absolutely couldn't. And so uh, my buddy John called me up, bless you, and um, he said, hey, would you pray about being our pastor for that week? And I said, sure. You know, and so it worked out that I, I was the pastor of the week. And the first half of the week was uncomfortable uncomfortable because they were so tight and I wasn't the old guy I wasn't Randy so and and I've known Randy for all my life too and we have very different personalities very different shapes of one another and just by coincidence I was teaching on shape that week it was the theme of the whole week and I remember also the other challenge they had is one of the guys that was a counselor that was part of the family uh, the worship leader couldn't be there, and he had stepped up to be worship leader, and he was kind of early in his skills. And so when he's leading worship and stuff, you hear a lot of, well, it's not like when Steve was here, type stuff, or whatever the guy's name was. Uh, so it was, it was just calling, and the director was like, what do we do? And maybe if you act more like Randy. I'm like, no, I'm not going to act more like Randy. Uh, that's not, not the way it is. So we got about midway through the week, and we're going through shape, and we're talking about shape. And um, I said, hey, uh, I, this is all on the same table. I know um, that some of you guys have been uncomfortable this week with me. And I, I just want to share something. Maybe this might change your, your, your understanding. And maybe you didn't notice it. I'm not Randy. I'm not supposed to be Randy. Randy is a completely different makeup than what I am as we're talking about the shape stuff. And if God wanted Randy here this week, Randy would be here, but he's not. He wanted me. So guess what? You have me. And then I went, went to the, the young man here. I said, the same thing here with the worship leader. It's not the same as it used to be. It's not supposed to be the same as it used to be. This is who God created for this moment, and he called him to this moment. That's the kind of confidence that we can have when we start dealing with the struggles or we start dealing with the, the challenges. Uh, and the fourth one is when you know what your shape is and you're in the right spot, you can do it with all your might. And we can stop being people who are just sprinkling a little bit of ministry in here and a little bit of sprinkling ministry there. You can do it with all your might, all your might. You can go all in. Once you know where you're supposed to be, you can go all in, and your life becomes a life of ministry instead of, hey, Jesus, can you sprinkle a little pixie dust over my life? Can you give me a little blessing, and I'm just trying to be a little bit nicer than I was before I knew Jesus. That's not what we're called to. It's called to something so much more. If you were blessed by today's teaching, We hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.